to. We have a hard time talking about this because we have this idea in the church that if you're a really good Christian, you're never ever going to doubt your faith. Or if you really want to be pleasing to God and you want to really fit into the church, you're going to really keep your doubts to yourself. And so today I want to encourage us. First of all, I want to encourage you, if you are sitting here today and you are doubting your faith, if you are doubting the truth of Christianity, if you can know that you have eternal life, if you are here and you are doubting everything maybe, I want to say you are welcome here. We are a church that wants you here. We want you here because we value you. We want you here because we believe that God will work in you the faith that is required for you to continue. And so today I want to speak to those of you and those to us that have doubted or that will doubt and give us some tools how to work through doubt. How do we deal with doubt? The passage of scripture that I want to uh, speak on today is found in Mark chapter 9, verses 21 to 24. And as we think about doubt, I want this to be our heart. This is what it says. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? And he's speaking to a father whose son uh, was under uh, demon possession, and the, the demons would take him and they'd throw him into the fire, and he was... He was uh, suffering under uh, this. And then the father answers, from childhood. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. I think this is very often the hard cry of us, is not. I do believe. I want to believe. God, please help my unbelief. The Bible teaches us much about doubt. And there are passages of Scripture where Jesus comes out, especially Jesus, he comes out and he speaks very, very harshly against doubt. He scolds those that doubt. But there are other passages of Scripture like this one where Jesus handles people that are doubting very tenderly, compassionately, and with mercy. And so what is the difference? Doubt where a person is seeking the truth is accepted, but doubt that is a result of pride hardening of heart and rejection of God's work is condemned. And so here this morning... If you are wondering about the truth of Christianity, if you're maybe struggling with not being able to feel like you want to believe, but you are honestly seeking, I believe and the scripture teach that God will be faithful to you. So what is doubt? I think a working definition of doubt is to call into question the truth of something or someone. It is essentially second-guessing what you know to be true or what you believe to be true. Doubt is often a byproduct of seeking to find truth. And so in this process of finding truth, of coming down to uh, understand what the truth of a matter is, there's often um, a very squiggly line, so to say, a, a very um, turning, tipsy turning road that we take to discover truth. 
And along this curvy road, there will be doubt. So there's basically three kinds of doubt, and they, they uh, impact us in different parts of us. The first part is intellectual doubt. This comes when we, in, we do not completely understand how facts work together. If there are logical inconsistency in what we believe, there will be doubt, and it should. An example of this kind of doubt is struggling with when skeptics point out supposed contradictions in the Bible. We struggle with the apparent tension between science discovering um, what it does and how we interpret the Bible to say. I think this doubt is the most dangerous when it's added to a heart that is already uh, struggling with truth, already doubting truth. The next kind is emotional doubt. And uh, if, if you uh, like reading, Gary Habermas wrote a book uh, about 20 years, 25 years ago. Um, he says, Dealing with Doubt, it's an excellent book to read. Um, just look it up. It's a very good read. But in this book, he talks about the difference between emotional doubt and intellectual doubt. Emotional doubt comes from living, experiencing life in a different way than we think it should be. We become disillusioned with it. So an emotional doubter may ask questions that come from the heart, such as, why does God allow suffering? Why are people born with disabilities? How could a loving God someone send someone to hell? See, the difference between emotional doubters and intellectual doubters, emotional answers will not necessarily help someone that is doubting emotionally. And pain is very often the cause of it. And the third one, and this one is very, very difficult to go through, and it's soul doubt. This kind of doubt, you wrestle with your identity. The moorings on which you stand, the ground on which you stand seems to be shifting. Over the years, writers have called this kind of doubt the dark night of the soul. And I hope none of you are here this morning. This kind of doubt is kind of like, how many of you remember being on the merry-go-rounds as children? I think they outlawed them in most uh, playgrounds now because people like me always got hurt when I was a kid. But merry-go-rounds, there's these wheels that spin around around, kids go on them and then they fly off and uh, try to walk straight. And they're dizzy and they, even though the ground is not moving, their perception of what is and what is around them is, is keeps turning. And that's what it's like to have sold out. The truth on which you are walking or seeking to find or seeking to find your moorings is, is, is secure. It's not moving anywhere. But your perception, your ability to ground yourself in it um, is really suffering. So if this is you this morning, I want to say there is hope for you. You might not be able to believe the same way you did before. But you will be able to believe even if it is believing with a limp. So why do we doubt? Here are some reasons why we fall into doubt as Christians. The first one is we doubt because we are disillusioned with life. What do I mean with disillusioned? Disillusioned is being very disappointed that something is not as good, valuable, true as it had seemed. We become disillusioned with life when it does not produce the joy, the happiness, and the peace we thought it would. Pain and doubt almost always go hand in hand. And 
basically at the very bottom of all our doubt as Christians when we fall into disillusionment is this. Where is God when it hurts? We are disillusioned. We thought God would, would minister to us in a certain way. And then he didn't come through for us in the way that we thought he should. And we become disillusioned. The second way is we doubt because we have sin in our life. This is a very hard one to accept, and it's kind of a, it's kind of a, a catch-22 because very often people that doubt kind of become careless in their spiritual lives, and because they become becomes careless in their spiritual lives, they live in sin, and then sin leads to more doubt, and doubt leads to more sin, and it kind of becomes a recurring thing. But sin keeps us away from the source of truth. We saw a couple Sundays ago that God, the character of God, the person of God, is the basis of all truth. And so if we separate ourselves from God, we become people that are, in a sense, blinded. We, we look through a veil. We look through the fog. We are not able to find what is true. And 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 to 18, teach us that those that are separated from God because of their sin, they have a veil over their face. They're not able to clearly see what is right, what is wrong, what is true, what is lie. I have seen this many times. People that are passionate about their faith, people that are passionate about living for Christ, and they make a compromise in one part of their lives, they're just like, it's not that bad. It's just going to be a little while. I'll try this lifestyle out. And with time, a person whose faith was vibrant and secure and strong becomes weak and faltering, and they begin to doubt. Doubt happens when we separate ourselves from the source of truth, the source of secure truth, when we separate ourselves in sin from God. The third reason we doubt is we believe lies which are intertwined with truth. This is a very difficult thing. When we are confronted with a challenge that is part of our belief system, it's going to affect other parts of our belief systems. I think sometimes we assume that our beliefs are neatly compartmentalized and neatly stacked boxes. So you take a look at the, uh, the stack of boxes There it is. That's what we, we sometimes assume our beliefs are. We have a belief about God in this box, then we have a belief about people in this box, and we have a, uh, a belief about science in this one. We, we all have them neatly stored in our mind. But realistically, this is more what our belief system is like. The next slide. How many of you uh, have ever gone fishing with uh, a child? Yeah, you got, kind of get what I'm getting at with that question, right? This is the end result of almost every fishing trip with a child. This is more like what happens with our belief system. So what happens is we see one of the beliefs that we hold is not true, but because it's intertwined with our other beliefs, we start to doubt because we feel if one part is, is wrong, what about everything else? And so it takes wisdom, it takes skill to kind of deal with one thing at a time. Because if you have a mess like this, what is the most tempting thing to do? Scissor on one end, scissor on the other end, start over. But we as Christians, we need to 
do the hard work, the hard soul work of starting to untangle the lies from the truth that we are believing in our lives. Fourthly, and this is one of the uh, things that we often forget, is that we have an enemy who is devoted to our destruction. How did Satan tempt Eve in the Garden of Eden? What question did he ask her? He asked her, has God really said? This is in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1. Has God really said? This is at the basis of all doubts. Has God really said? And we as Christians, we sometimes are so naive, we don't see the spiritual battle going around us, and we forget that there is Satan who wants nothing more for us to be completely destroyed, our faith to go to nothing, and for us to turn our back on God. Has God really said? One of the things I observed in my life, it is when I struggle with doubt or not being sure about what God wants for me, I have learned to anticipate a great work of God. Not that Satan has this amazing vision into the future, but it seems like every time when I'm planning something big, that's when I struggle with doubt the most. I don't know what it is uh, with you, but Satan uh, wants to oppose us in the way that we live our lives and the way that we serve God. So those are the few of the reasons why we doubt. So how should we now overcome doubt? And again, this is, if you can take one thing out of this sermon is this. If you are struggling with your faith and you are in doubt in your faith, please do not give up on your faith. You don't have to have it all together. You don't have to have a faith that is completely pure of unbelief. See the doubting process through. So here are some ways that you can um, deal with doubt. The first thing is, and it's a very obvious one, what is the remedy for doubt? The remedy for doubt is faith. And faith comes by the hearing of God. Listen to what Romans chapter 10 verses 17 teaches. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word of Christ. Especially when you are feeling doubt for the first time, this seems strange. It seems like your faith is falling apart, and one small doubt seems to overshadow all the other areas that you believe in. But the way to overcome your doubt is not taking a break from faith and seeing what happens. The way to overcome doubt is to dive more into what God requires of us, trying to seek God's face more and spending more time in Scripture. So number one, recognize that doubting is normal. Why do I say this? Very few of us have ever admitted we doubt. And what that does, it gives all of us the perception that none of us do. None of us doubt. Maybe there's the odd one that right before they give up their faith, they say that they doubt. But really, if we are honest with ourselves, we have all gone through times of doubt. So let's just admit it. And if we read through the scriptures, some of the main pillars of our faith went through times of tremendous doubts. We think of Abraham. He doubted, and yet he was called the father of faith. Elijah was depressed and doubted for his life after God had given him a great victory over the prophets of Baal. John the Baptist doubted, yet Jesus called him the greatest prophet who had ever lived. 
He says in Matthew 11, 7 to 11, he says, I tell you the truth, among those born of women, no one has arisen greater than John the Baptist. And yet, John doubted. Doubting is normal. It doesn't mean that we should stay there. It does not mean that doubting is a position to be embraced. But it is very important that we recognize this is a common problem that all of us face. And we together, because it's a common problem among us, we can deal with doubt together. Number two, understand the role that reason plays in our Christian faith. Last summer, Pastor Peter gave an apologetics um, sermon series. And he gave a lot of intellectual, reasonable reasons why we should believe that Christianity is true. But there is a difference between knowing Christianity is true and showing Christianity is true. What do I mean with this? We know Christianity is true because we have the witness of the Holy Spirit in us. Another way of saying it is we know that Christianity is true because God has worked a miracle in us. We have seen God work in our lives, therefore we know that Christianity is true. We have seen what it does to us. Showing Christianity to be true is different. We give arguments, we show evidences from Scripture and from history and and from reason, we show that it is true. And a healthy faith, a a faith that is without doubt or limited doubt, is a faith that can both know and show that Christianity is true. Well, some people, when they struggle with showing that Christianity is true, often fall into doubt and they're, they're tempted to throw their doubt away. Or, or other times people, they, they struggle to know that Christianity is true, but they're yet they're able to show that Christianity is true. So if you are maybe in one of them or the other, you're struggling with one or strong on the other, hold on to the one that you know, the one that, that you are not struggling with. For instance, if you are in university and you come across an argument against God and, and you, you wrestle through it, but yet you just had an experience with, with the Holy Spirit the, in your morning devotion, you rely on knowing Christianity is true. Or maybe you're in a dry time of your, your faith and you have tried and you have tried to ha- experience the presence of God and there's nothing there, but you know the evidences for faith are strong. Put your, uh, your trust in showing Christianity is true. We also need to recognize that absolute certainty is an unreasonable expectation. This does not mean that truth is not objective. It means that we do not have the ability to know things beyond a shadow of a doubt. So the point is this. The secret to dealing with doubt as a Christian life is not to resolve all of one's doubts. One will always have unanswered questions. Rather, the secret is learning to live victoriously with one's own unanswered questions. So this is William Lane Craig's advice to us. He says, deal with those doubts one at a time while still living in victory because overall you're still walking in faith. Also, deal with doubts before they become crises. This kind of seems like counterintuitive. And so... Some of us have, uh, we, uh, when we become uh, 
doubting about different things or we start to second-guess ourselves, we kind of push it to the back of our minds. We're like, no, I, I, I'm not going to go there. Christians don't uh, ask questions like that. And we put these questions at the back of our mind. And over time, these questions, they pile up and we become uh, people that are prone to a faith crisis. So deal with faith, uh, little faith doubts before they become existential doubts. Number three, Recognize that faith is more than a feeling or being without doubt. It is a commitment. Faith is not primarily a feeling, but it is a trust in a person. That is a very, very important distinction to make. Why? Because when we place our faith in God, we're doing just that. We're placing our trust in God. It's not something that we do because we feel like it. It's not something that has happened because we feel like it. It's because we have chosen to do so. And so when we struggle in our feelings in our faith, it does nothing to undermine the choice that we have made and the faithfulness of God to honor that choice. This means, for lack of using a better cliche, doubt your doubts. What do I mean with this? is there are often reasons why we doubt that have nothing to do with our doubts. We maybe fall into doubt because we're tired. Maybe we fall into doubt because we need a Snickers bar. No, I'm kidding. We're, we're out of character. We haven't had enough sleep. We're sick. We're tired. All of these different things. And there's no real reason why we fall into doubt. And number four, distinguish between essential and non-essential doctrines. Remember to focus on the individual doubts without doubting everything. What do I mean with this? It is that just because you are struggling with how a good God can allow evil in the world does not mean that you need to doubt that God exists. Just because you are doubting how uh, people are predestined to find salvation or they're not or we have free will does not mean that God is not sovereign over all. You don't need to question the overall main doctrines of the faith because you're struggling in one of the smaller doctrines. If you're struggling with the, what the Bible teaches about hell does not mean that you need to stop believing in hell altogether. Well, the same goes for heaven if you're struggling with understanding what heaven will be like and you're doubting what, what Scripture teaches about it, it does not mean that you need to stop believing that heaven actually exists. Because you are struggling with how Christians do not practice what they preach does not mean you need to doubt the truth of the Trinity. Because you see differences in the eyewitness of the gospel does not mean that everything, especially the resurrection, does, did not happen. When you are doubting if God loves you, you need not doubt that Jesus died on the cross. Do you follow me? You do, if you're doubting on the small areas, it does not follow that you need to doubt on the big areas. So hold on to the big areas, the things that we know. There is a God. He loves us. He has revealed himself to us in the scriptures. Jesus came to earth, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, rose from the dead, and he's coming back again. You hold to those things while you take one individual doubt at a time and work through them. When we doubt secondary issues, we should, need to, we should not need to question the foundational issues. 
So many people fall into this myth that if one part of Christianity is in doubt, I'm not saying if one part of Christianity is not true, if one part of Christianity is in doubt, that the whole thing crumbles. Just because it's a tangled mess in your mind does not mean that it's a tangled mess in God's hands. Also, number five, remember what God has done for you in the past. When we struggle with doubt, we fear for the future rather than celebrate the past. Is this not so true? When we doubt, it's always about the future. I doubt this will all fall out in the future. But when we are doubt, we do well to look in the past to see how God has been faithful. And when we see how God has been faithful, we can have the trust that he will continue to be faithful in our lives. I like what the psalmist says in Psalm 77, verse 11. He says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. In the Old Testament, God commanded the Israelites to put up monuments to remember how he loved them. And if you read through the Old Testament, God often reminds them, he says, when on the other side of the Jordan, and he, he lists what he did for them. And he Everywhere they go, everywhere they settle, he asks them, when they get to a place, he asks them to put up a monument so that their children can look back and see the faithfulness of God. So when you are in doubt, look not to the future, but look to the past. Look to the past and see how God has been faithful. One of the things that I struggle with is recording things that have happened in my life. I'm not a journaler. So I don't keep a journal. I don't have, I'm not on volume 10 um, like some of you are. But one of the things I have learned to do is I write things down when it's a really big miracle in my life. One of the big miracles in my life is I, re I, I experienced miraculous healing when I was uh, 19 or 17 years old. I had been suffering under Crohn's disease, and the pastors came over and they prayed over me. I have recorded in writing what happened. I have recorded in writing what happened when God called us to Bible school and everything changed around us. I've recorded that in writing. And when I doubt God's plan for me, I go back and I read what God has done in the past so that I can be confident what God will do in the future. Number six, consider your alternatives. When we walk away from beliefs, we always do so embracing other beliefs. Sure, we can say that we, we just become agnostic, meaning we don't know. But this is never a permanent position. I like what Peter says in John chapter 6, verses 66 to 69. This is what it says. From that, this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Do you want to leave? Do you not want to leave too? Do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. So even as Peter struggled in his faith, and even as people around him stopped following Jesus, Peter remembered the most important thing. He remembered that though it's hard following Jesus, though it's hard having faith in Jesus, if he doesn't have faith in Jesus, what does he have? And that's true for us. Yeah, we struggle with our faith. 
Many of us struggle from time to time more than others. But the question we always need to ask ourselves in the time of doubt, if not Jesus, then what? What do we have if we do not have eternal life in Jesus Christ? Number seven, continue in your spiritual disciplines. If your doubts are emotional in nature, which they usually are, your feelings might follow your actions. What do I mean with this? Those of you that are married know how it works in a marriage. There are times when we do not feel love for our spouse. And so we as men, we don't feel love for our spouse, so we go get flowers for them. And we don't do this to try to manipulate the situation. What we're doing is we're doing an action so that our feelings can follow. And then you bring the flowers home and the wife face changes and she shows affection to you and then you realize something's going inside where the rock used to be. Your feelings are following your actions. And this example in the same way goes with men and women in, in marriage. There are times when we don't feel like we love each other, but we act in love and very often feelings will follow. And the same thing we should do in our faith. We should continue to pray and read the Bible, even if it is painful to do so. We should continue to serve in the church. And we should continue to take time for personal worship, corporal worship, and listen to Christian music uh, when we're alone. The way to reignite our relationship with God is not to pull away from Him. It is to continue to pursue Him and so that He can show Himself to us. Number eight, find a mature person to walk with you. As a church, I know I'm speaking on, on behalf of the staff, the pastors, and the elders. We care about you. We want to walk with you. If you have doubts, come talk to one of us. You do not have to walk in your doubts by yourself. In emotional doubters, you don't need answers intellectual answers that will just speak to the head. You need someone to walk with you, to give you love, to give you acceptance, and to tell you that someone believes in you. Another thing that I would say is choose your sources wisely. Those that walk with you in your time of doubt, choose them well. Choose godly men and women that care for you. Don't start reading books by skeptics or by atheists that want to further undermine your faith. Those books are to be read by mature Christians when their faith is not under attack. And number nine, doubt can strengthen your faith. This sounds really crazy for me to say this, but it's true. Doubting your faith is not necessarily a bad thing. In fact, it can lead to spiritual growth. It can lead to maturity. It can make you ask questions you would not have asked before. And it can, as you have wrestled with some of these doubts yourselves, you become equipped with personal answers you can share with others that may be struggling with the same questions. Because when we feel questions, and we feel answers to those questions, we are better equipped to give answers to those that are asking the same questions. And... Doubt should always point us to God rather than away from Him. I think this is a very important thing to stress. When you are in doubt, when you are struggling with your faith, do not 
pull away from God. In faith, by choice, draw close to God. Even if it doesn't feel like it's going anywhere. And the end result, hopefully, will be a faith that is more authentic, a faith that is rich, a faith that is understanding, and a faith that is able to identify with others. So in conclusion, I want to say to us as a church, we want to proclaim the truth with grace and love. We want to proclaim it with grace and love because there are those among us, there are those in this community that are struggling with doubt. They are wondering if this whole Christianity thing is true. And what they need is not always more answers. They need more love and more grace. That they have people to walk with them into stronger faith, into a faith that has less doubt. And for you who are doubting or struggling in your faith, I want you to know one thing above all else. And that is this. God loves you. There's nothing that you can do, there's nothing you can struggle through that makes you outside the love of God. And I find it very interesting, Henry, that you read this past, the, the verse that you did to start off the service. And it is found in Romans chapter 8, Verses 38, and he says, I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor any other created thing will ever be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing separates you from the love of God. No matter what you do, no matter what you believe, God loves you with an unfailing love. God is not threatened by your struggles, but he wants to be there with you as you walk through doubt. And at the end of your doubt, as you have struggled with it, as you have overcome it, at the end is a faith that is raw, that is authentic, that is real, and a faith that is steadfast. And it is a faith where we are able to say, like the man in Mark, I believe, I believe, Help my unbelief. Let's close in prayer. God in heaven, I thank you for the unchanging truth of Scripture, the unchanging character of God. And I pray as we as a church are a place of um, discipleship and as people uh, learn to follow you, I pray that we will be able to give intellectual answers to intellectual questions but also give emotional love and grace and answers to emotional questions. And I pray that you will help us to be honest about where we are at with you, that you, the great healer, can come and heal us, and that we will be people of faith, people of faith that can spread your gospel, Leamington, Canada, in the whole world. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you guys stand with us?